My name is Olivier and this is the Do Happy Work podcast. What if I told you that there is a concept that lives inside of most people's mind that makes it impossible for them to do anything that really truly matters to them? And that is a word that I use very often, but I know for a fact most people, even though they know that word, they don't have a clear understanding of it and how complex and how important and impactful it is on their work, their actions, their deeds, and everything around them. And that's scarcity. Scarcity is one of those words that we just use lightly without understanding how we are in the grips of scarcity. So today I want to shed a light on this word, this concept, scarcity. And also then in another episode, we're going to explore how does scarcity actually act upon the things that we do, upon the work that we would love to do, but don't allow ourselves to do. And we talked about the mind as a beautiful reality creation machine before, where we kind of touched upon scarcity. But scarcity is, of course, a lived reality. It's an experience. It's not enough to say like, oh, we have a scarcity mindset. We have to understand what does scarcity make us do? Or what does it make us not do? Because scarcity, when scarcity lives in us as a concept, scarcity becomes the guiding mentor that makes our decisions. And to go back to this a visual that I use often, you are a business. You as a person, you are a business. And that business makes decisions. And you have a little boardroom in your head. And as long as scarcity is the directive of the boardroom, what is the directive? Protect yourself, protect your assets, protect your existence at any cost. This is the definition of scarcity as a concept. Because we are at risk of losing everything. We are at risk at not having enough reserves if the times you know, get dire. And so now the whole organism that you are, the whole business that you represent as a unique being is about protecting your assets, about lowering your exposure to risk. Of course, we could now just say like, oh, okay, that makes us people who reject risk, which is true. We do reject risk, we don't take risks, we do not step forward into our own truth because we are not willing to sacrifice anything and we're not willing to act against the company directive of protecting our assets, protecting our exposure, like lowering our exposure. A lived scarcity reality in us, one that we uphold mentally, will always be about keeping a defensive nature. So it means basically that you're continuously in a state of false emergency. You're continuously thinking that there are many, many, many points and daggers and swords and knives pointed at you. For your mind, there's no difference between a, a real emergency and that scarcity concept. And you have to understand that because you have been exposed to real danger in the past, you have a memory of danger. You have a memory of peril. You have a memory of what it means to be at risk. So when your mind comes at you with the concept of scarcity, 
that rings a bell in you. You're like, oh, I remember. I didn't like that. I don't want this. Danger is real. We don't want that. We reject that. Which is kind of heartbreaking because that also means that you hold on to scarcity. So now we have the scarcity subsystem in us that for one keeps us small and for another we hold on to it for the reason of scarcity. So you see, it's, it's almost like scarcity feeds on itself. And because the mind is so incredibly powerful and beautiful and and also so energy conscious, it does not want you to worry about what it does. It talks itself, it talks itself away from you, so it runs autonomously and efficiently, and it tells you, don't worry, you deal with your things, and I tell you what we need to worry about. Imagine if that is your company chairman telling you every day anew, when you wake up, What's going to go wrong today? No matter what happens, make sure to lower our exposure to make sure that we're safe. Of course, you will not do the one thing that life demands of you. And this is, this is the heartbreak. This is the heartbreak that I see when I talk to business owners and employees alike. If I tell them that happy work is about not just walking your path, but actually riding your path. When I tell them, you have to at some point... When the midlife crisis hits, you have to step out of the illuminated waiting room and step into the darkness of the forest. You have to embrace uncertainty. You have to embrace not knowing what's going to happen next. Can you imagine how unacceptable that is for the scarcity mind? I mean, it literally opposes that possibility. So if life is all about change, if life is all about the uncertainty of what that change will bring, of what will be asked of us, of what we will face tomorrow, having an attitude of scarcity rejects change. So it rejects life. This is why we don't step forward. This is why we don't make drastic changes that our heart demands. Upholding that will make it worse over time. Because now we also have the habit of scarcity that starts to take hold of everything. In, in whatever new situation we find ourselves, we will be faced with its scarcity degree, with how much scarcity do I sense in this new situation, a new job, transitioning your business, relocating. It's all, for the scarcity-minded person, a matter of emergency. In saying so... If I keep telling you, hey, if you really want to tap into your potential and use it for beautiful work, before I even finish that sentence, you will reject it. And I see it. You know, I see it in the people I talk to when I present them with the possibility to actually be and act like an apple tree. They ask me first and foremost, well, what, where, where does it begin? I tell them, you need to develop the consciousness of nature. And the consciousness of nature is, of course, the one that's connected to our source, which is abundant. But if you are attached with an umbilical cord to your self-imposed scarcity, abundance is not available to you. So anything I will tell you to do, your mindset will gauge and measure, well, how safe is it? And sadly, 
the prospect of happy work is the unsafest one for the scarcity mind. Why? Because no one has ever walked your path. Your path doesn't even exist. No one has ever been in that forest that I ask you to go. So how should a scarcity-minded person even tinker with the idea of walking into the forest, into the darkness? But isn't that a concept that we know? People who walk into the darkness where there's not even a trail, a path? We call them trailblazers. We call them pioneers. We have all kinds of names for them. Now, the first ones, the ones that change things, who set the path for others to then follow. Imagine if we all abided by the principles of scarcity, there would be no development. We would all be trapped in a place of survival. And that's exactly what scarcity wants you to. Scarcity has limited your life and with it your work to the mere reality of survival. When everything around us reminds us that survival, that's just the base layer of life. Thriving is what we're here to do. We're here to experience the whole range, the entire range from A to Z, and that includes heartbreak and loss and everything of human emotions. But all these emotions are locked out of your scope of possibilities when scarcity is the glasses the binoculars, the perspective on life that you entertain. There's, there's just nothing for you to see. You will reject everything. And we know that. We, we, I'm sure there are some listeners right now who can relate to this because their parents or someone who had considerable influence on their development, on their education, was driven by scarcity. When we are raised by people who have a scarcity outlook on life, they forward the same reduced perspective on us. And because we are very likely to listen to them, we adopt that perspective. But what happens then? How is scarcity something that actually becomes a part of our process of the decision-making? Because in the end, everything is about the way we make decisions. The way in which we either follow our heart and say, yes, heart, I hear you, I, I will do as you tell me, or no, heart, you're not real, or you're foolish, and I will do what is right, what is without risk. There is one concept that is at the, at the core of scarcity, and it's having expectations. When people have expectations. It is actually the scarcity self, the attitude that projects an idea on the world how things should be. That is something only the scarcity mind is capable of doing. Having expectations is the entitled self that is so scared of the future, a non-existing future, but so drenched in hurtful, toxic stories of the past that it becomes unavailable to the present moment. And all it does is trying to shine a light into that future. And how do we shine a light into the future? A thing that's not even possible. But we do it by having expectations. I expect something of the future. I expect something of you. And, and when we do that, 
we rip ourselves out of the present moment because now our entire attention, all of our being lives in the suspended state between past and future. We're now devoured by the traumatic teachings of the past that nurture our conditioning, our scarcity, but we're also consumed by the fear of an uncertain future. And that makes us completely unavailable to our potential. We're completely ripped out of our present. We are not present. The present is not available to us. And expectations is so dangerous. Having expectations is so dangerous because it contains that syllable X. And X means out, outside. So when the scarcity mindset reigns in you, and shifts your perspective to X to be outside, you shift your entire life's perspective on the things outside of you. That's at the heart of people who walk around and live their lives with heartache because they have now given up their self-ownership and put it in the hands of the world. So having expectations is a a trait of scarcity, and it is that one thing we do where we tell ourselves we want to be victims of the world. I will let the world decide who I am, how I feel, and where I'm going. That's what expectations do to you, having expectations. And, and maybe to have concrete examples, a relationship that is based on scarcity will immediately project expectations on the partners. You expect of the partner to behave in a certain way, to love you, to show their love in certain ways, to exchange with you in a certain way. But you know what that does to you? It makes your entire being dependent on whether or not the expectations are met. And guess what? Expectations are mostly not met because they are outside of the range of your control. After all, you expect something of someone who's not you. You're expecting something of your partner, of the world. You expect something of the weather. You expect something of your vacations, of your children. But they are all their own thing. And that's why expectations are so dangerous. It, it's, a clear, it's a clear indicator that you have given up your self-ownership. You are now nothing but a dead leaf that is swirling around in the current of a wild stream. You have no self-ownership anymore. The loss of self-ownership happens very early when we adopt scarcity as a thinking model, as a, as a life model. But it doesn't just stop there because when you expect, you do something in order to realize whether or not your expectations are being met. You compare so people who have scarcity in them, who then start projecting expectations on the world and lose their self-ownership, they start to live in comparison mode. They compare themselves to the world. This is how they know whether or not they're faring well. Because after all, they have decided that the world will decide whether or not they're going to be happy, whether or not they're going to be okay. So now when you're in comparison mode, something very interesting happens. You stop living for yourself and you now start to live in relation to something else. 
relation. You compare yourself, for example, to your neighbor because your neighbor has a nicer car. Now, your own happiness and your satisfaction is not your own thing anymore. It's now attached to your neighbor. If you have a nicer car than your neighbor, then you will be happy. If your neighbor suddenly buys a nicer car than you, you're unhappy. Fact of the matter is, this extends this lack of self-ownership and makes everything, the whole reality of your life, dependent on other things that you compare yourself to. And when we do that, when our life becomes relative, our actions, our deeds become reactive. And that is the problem with scarcity. Scarcity-minded people are reactive people. They are controlled and governed by their impulses, which are nothing else but ways to react to a world that tells them that they are not enough. That's, after all, the basic teaching of scarcity. I'm not enough. I don't have enough. But then the world has more. He has more. She has more. They have more. I should have more. And now because we measure ourselves to that world, we continuously find reasons to believe, yeah, I don't have enough. I'm not enough. And so now when someone triggers us, we don't have a response. We're not responsible people anymore. After all, we've lost our self-ownership. We're not reactive people. So when people are reactive, when they scream at you, when people make things and decisions that don't come from their intuition, from their inner self, but only as a reaction to something that happened around them, they become reactive people. And by definition, we don't like reactive people. Reactive people raise their hands, they raise their voices, they are impulsive, they destroy things, they break things, they break themselves. That is all in that chain of scarcity. It's all a consequence that the scarcity mind uses to uphold the reality of scarcity. And then to seal the deal, once we are reactive people, there's a very last thing that we do to kind of glaze everything over. We judge. Scarcity, that leads us to become expecting people that compare ourselves to the world become judgmental. And when we judge, that means that we actually utter a judgment over something that's not for us to judge, but which owns us. We become owned by the judgment. A judgment of someone else is like a dark hole that sucks you into its center. It's a black hole. It just sucks you dry because you're consumed by judgment. And judgment is actually the expression of not being present, of not being available to yourself. You judge someone else, and what you actually indicate to yourself is that you are not enough in relation to that person. You're not enough in relation to that situation. And what all these things do, I call them the three shadowy siblings, expectations, comparison, and judgment. You're out there expecting things to happen, comparing yourself to them, and then concluding their reality, their existence with a judgment. And a judgment always leads to a sentence. You sentence yourself, and so your prison becomes real. You have created your own mental scarcity prison, just because you cannot let go of the idea that you're not enough. And that thing has given rise to all these twisted inner behavior. 
And you know why you cannot get out of it? Because thoughts create something in you. They create feelings. And what is the feeling that comes from scarcity thoughts? From the sentence that you voice against yourself? We just give you usually one name. Fear. Fear. When you have scarcity thoughts cycling in you, when you go out there, compare yourself to the world, realize that your expectations are not being met, counteract with judgment, become reactive in nature, all that people see and all that you feel is fear and the many, many, many versions of fear that we know, like anxiety and dread and fright and, and frustration and disappointment, all these things that fall into the category of fear, but falsely, we think that fear is the reason why we do these things. We think because we're fearful, we judge. Because we're fearful, we, we compare ourselves. It's the other way around. Because we're scarcity-driven, we judge, which creates and nurtures the emotion of fear in us. Because fear is just the messenger of scarcity. Fear has no real existence other than the thoughts behind it. You have to actually have scarcity thoughts in order to experience fear. It's, it's just a lo logical consequence of the emergency system in us. We detect danger. We detect that there is a, there's a line approaching us. We detect that. And our brain floods us with hormones that then we experience as fear, the fear response. It's a response. It's a response that we have. But there's something underlying there. Oh my God, if I don't do something, I'm going to die. That's what creates the fear that we experience. It's just, fear itself is not the issue. So for all these people who look at their own self and realize, yes, they are stuck. They have a, they have a problem. They have obstacles in their way. And they do fear-based therapy. That's not enough. You don't need to shoot the messenger. Fear is just the messenger. Fear is the way your mind indicates a lack. It's the lack. It's the idea that you're lacking when you're not. That is the cause. And of course, deconditioning yourself to let go of that conviction that you are not enough, that you will never have enough, and overriding those stories that nurture that conviction. That is, that's the base layer. That's, that's where everything comes from. Because when that happens, those punishments, those sentences that you impose on yourself, they go up in smoke because now they have no basis anymore. After all, you don't have expectations anymore. You stop comparing and you don't judge anymore. So automatically, where there's no judge, there's no sentence. I advise anyone listening to this to become aware of your decision-making and the source of your decision-making. Maybe you look at your own life and realize all the big decisions in your life that you've made or that you have not made. What is the quality of that whispering? You know, that, that thing, that voice that whispered in your ear. Was it something that held you back, that was trying to protect you? Or was it something that actually tried to push you forward? Because if it was something that tried to hold you back, it was a voice of scarcity. Also go back enough to realize do you tend to have a reactive demeanor when you are confronted with decision-making? Is your decision-making more often than not based on reactive behavior? 
Are you sometimes comparing yourself to a situation and deducting information from that comparison to make a choice? What is your relationship with expectations, with comparing yourself to the world and also with judgment? Do you see these three agents, these shadowy agents, take part in your decision making? What is your relationship to them? You might be quick in saying, no, that does not apply to me. I swear it does. And if you look deep enough and you actually become aware of the powers that inform your decision making, you will realize this exact chain and sequence of events is happening within you. But can you stop yourself? Can you become aware of the imposter that you nurture? Uh -huh.